Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Jesus often spoke in parables, and as you know, a parable was a story that illustrated a deeper spiritual meaning. And I suppose it's possible that Jesus' parables were taken from literal historical happenings, but for the most part, we understand them to be fictitious stories that Jesus told as illustrations. It's important to understand that they were, however, absolute truth in their spiritual meanings, which is why Jesus told them in the first place. Anyway, one of the the most famous parables that Jesus told was the parable of the prodigal son. How many remember that one? You all know that one, right? It's a story that illustrates the depths to which a person can fall into sin, while at the same time showing us the heights of God's unbelievable, far-reaching love and his grace and his mercy. And most of you are familiar with the story. It's found in Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. And, but instead of reading the entire thing this morning, I'm going to paraphrase it some. Uh, Jesus started the story by saying, a man had two sons. The younger came to his father and said, give me my inheritance. Give it to me now while, I'm, while you're still alive. And, and his father agreed and split up his wealth between his sons. After the younger son had received his inheritance, he packed up and traveled off to a distant land where he wasted all of his money on wild living. That was prostitution, gambling, drinking, all of the above, wild living, okay? And about the same time that his money ran out, because how many know when when you get into stuff like that, your money runs out quick? What is it about sin that turns your money into water, and it doesn't stay in your pockets anymore. It's amazing how that is. But just about the same time the money ran out, a great famine came upon the land, and he began to starve, this prodigal son. He ended up working for a pig farmer feeding the pigs. And Jesus said that he was so hungry that the pig food started to look good to him. Now, I've worked on a pig farm uh, at no time did any of the different kinds of food that we fed them ever look appetizing. It was all disgusting, and it was usually mixed with some stuff that came out the under end of the pig, okay? It's just, it just, that's how pigs are. It's just gross. This guy was starving, though, and so this food looked really good to him. Pick it up in Luke 15, verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, talking about the son who was living wildly, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he did just that, and while he was still a long way off, as he was coming home, the father who was looking for him, who was even pursuing him, at least in his thoughts, He sees him a long ways off, and he comes running out to him. He embraced him. He kissed him because he was so full of compassion for his son. As the son confessed his sins to his father, it was as if the father wasn't even paying attention to the details of what his son was saying. It's interesting when you read that and you think about that particular thing, because as the son is confessing, it's almost instantly the father says, to his servants, go get the finest robe in the house and put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and by the way, kill the fattened calf and let's celebrate his safe return. 
Luke 15, 24 says this, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. So the party began. I love that. The word prodigal as an adjective describes the behavior of his son. He was wasteful and careless. He was reckless with his resources, but then he repented. And certainly this dude, uh, this was a guy, who, this was a dude with a tude, okay? And, and a bad one at first, but then displayed a good attitude. But this morning, I don't want to talk about the prodigal son. I want to talk about the older son the non-prodigal, the sensible one who didn't run off and blow his inheritance before he, sh- it, he should have even been given, it should have even been given to him. I want to talk about the attitude of the son who stayed home and served his father while his brother ran off rebellious, rebelliously and blew his entire estate on wild living. I'm going to talk about that guy. Luke 15, 25 through 30 says this, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of, his, one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. See, this is a guy that anyone who has ever worked at doing the right thing only to have it blow up in your face, this is a guy we can really relate to. He was the good son. He was the one who didn't falter in his commitment to his father, the one who didn't just jump into wild living with both feet, the one who showed restraint, the one who was not rebellious, yet he was a dude with a very bad attitude. I mean, how is it that the son who makes all the wrong decisions, how is it that he's the one who is celebrated, but the son who had been faithful seems to get nothing? And at first, this whole thing seems completely unfair. But then you begin to see what is really going on here. Of course, the father in the story represents our heavenly father. The prodigal son represents those that are lost but then are found. Look at what the father says to his older son. It's the same thing uh, he said to his servants upon the prodigal son returning. He says in Luke 15, 31 and 32, His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. That was the father's attitude. He was lost, but he's found, so we're going to celebrate. And this older son, this non-prodigal son, really represents many within the church today. This son, again, was a dude with a really bad attitude. He had the attitude of self-righteousness. Turn to your neighbor and say self-righteousness. Only say it once, because if you say it five times, it's just hard. (laughs) Self-righteous people have a form of religion, 
They outwardly keep God's commands, but inwardly they are separated from Christ and all the purposes that he really has for them. And understand, you, 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 for, for me to say someone is self-righteous, when I'm saying that today, that's a goofy thing to say because nobody can truly be righteous in themselves. It's impossible to be self-righteous, amen? No one can be good or righteous on their own. That's what I'm saying. So when I say self-righteous, it implies a self-deception within that individual. We can only have a righteousness that comes from Christ. End of story. He alone is the source of our righteousness. He was perfect because you weren't and aren't and never will be. He was perfect and he was killed for his sins, sacrificed himself, allowed him to be nailed to a, himself to be nailed to a cross so that your sins could be atoned for, forgiven, so you could be set free, so you could be delivered. Nothing you did or didn't do, it's everything he did. And understand, Christianity is the only religion, I've said this before, it's the only religion that, that depends on what God has done for us and not on what we do for God. His righteousness, when we receive him as Lord and Savior of our life, becomes our righteousness. I want you to think about that for a minute because when I think about myself and I look in the mirror and I think about the things that go through this head, I think about some of the thoughts. I think about some of the things that come out of my mouth. Am I the only one? I think about some of the things I do, some of the deep, deep motives of the heart, and I think, man, I'll never get there. But here's the great thing. I don't have to be righteous by myself. Jesus' righteousness has become my righteousness because I've received him. I've asked him in. I've made him my Lord. And so I get to be measured by his righteousness, not my own. And you're, everybody has the same opportunity. That's an amazing thing that I don't think we'll ever get our heads wrapped around. Pastor Calloway used to say, when God looks at you, he sees righteousness. I'm like, how? Because he takes off his glasses. I didn't know God wore glasses. But he takes off his glasses, and he dips them in the blood of Jesus. He puts them on, and he sees you through rose-colored lenses. When he sees you through the blood, you are righteous. You're righteous. Man, that's a good thing to turn to your neighbor and say, you're righteous. Say, you're a righteous dude, and you don't have an attitude. <laughs> now turn to your other neighbor and say, I am righteous. Yeah. We don't like saying that. We think that's somehow arrogant, but it's not when you think about where it comes from. That if it comes from the place that you know that, that it's through the blood of Jesus and only through the blood of Jesus that you can attain righteousness, that is an amazing, awesome thing. And I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard for me to contain myself this morning when I think about that because I am just not a good person in and of myself. I know myself. Oh, Pastor Barry, you're kind of good. You're a nice guy. No, I'm not. Ask my wife. I am not, but because of the blood of Jesus, I get to be righteous. The non-prodigal son 
represents the religious, the pious, those that are arrogant in their faith, those that look at themselves as honorable and righteous because of themselves, not because of what Jesus did. And there are two areas in which this non-prodigal son clearly displayed the bad attitude of self-righteousness, and it caused him to act the way he did. To, I'm not going into that house. I'm not celebrating. I mean, as much as I want to point the finger at him, wouldn't we all do the same thing? He was self-righteous in two ways, at least two areas. Self-righteous, number one, because of what he didn't do. Hear me. Because of what he didn't do. It doesn't say that he was self-righteous. and The Bible never says that. But it does say that when he was told about his brother's return and about the celebration going on because of his return, that he was angry and wouldn't go into the house. I think about the father in this story is our heavenly father. He is so excited when one sinner turns to him. All of heaven rejoices when somebody gets saved. And if the church is like this older son, this non-prodigal son, just think of the parallels here. I wouldn't save them. You know how they've acted? Do you know what they've done? Do you know how many lives they destroyed with their behavior, their attitude? Oh, I've seen them at the altar before. I've seen them claim salvation before, and then they get up and they walk away from it anyway. You can't trust them. When do we stop believing that people can be changed? Never. Because the second you believe people can't be changed, close the doors. I don't care how many times someone comes to the altar and gets right all over again. We pray that it'll stick and they'll do the things and, and the behaviors will change. But, but I, I think I said this the other night, and we had a board and staff appreciation dinner, and, and I think I said this the other night, building his kingdom, as we are all kingdom builders, it, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And it takes a long time for some people. Do we just give up on them because, uh, Three, three months is long enough. Six months is long enough. How long is long enough? I know we don't cast our pearls before swine. And maybe you've got to give somebody a break and deliver them into the hands of Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's all the word of God, by the way. I know that that happens, but you never stop believing that God can change them. You never stop offering a hand up, ever. This guy was angry and he wouldn't go in the house. And I think it's because of what he didn't do. His anger and unwillingness to join the festivities, it's really the key to knowing his self-righteous attitude. Here he is slaving away in the field all day only to, become, only to come home to a celebration thrown in honor of his rebellious brother that, hadn't, that uh, had taken off and squandered all the inheritance. I mean, here he is. I, I'm just trying to get inside his mind. He's the good son. I'm the good one. I'm the non-prodigal. I did everything right. That, that, that made him righteous in his mind, at, le at, least, at least in his own eyes. He was the one who was living right, not his bum brother that made all the wrong choices. 
I mean, can you, can you just imagine him saying, where's my party? When is dad gonna honor me for doing that which was right? Or how about not doing all the bad stuff, which is my point here? You see, he's like so many in the church today who think they are better than others because of what they don't do. Righteous because of the things I don't get involved with. I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not part of one of those godless groups of extremists. I'm not a criminal. I don't break any laws. I'm not addicted to anything. I don't hate anybody. I'm obviously righteous because of what I don't do. I see this happening all around me. I don't do the things that they do. So I feel righteous in and of myself because I don't do those things. I don't get involved in those things. That makes me better. (laughs) Wrong answer. Because there is no righteousness outside of Christ. can just imagine him saying, I'm better than my brother because I didn't get caught up in wild living. I didn't do drugs or become an alcoholic or spend money on prostitutes and porn. I, I, I walked the straight and narrow path, and yet he gets the party. Come on, church, we have the same attitude all the time. It's the better than them because I don't do what they do attitude. It may not be verbally spoken out, but the church screams it loud and clear every time we reward ourselves I said, reward ourselves with the blessings that God pours out on us instead of using those blessings to build his kingdom. The church screams it every time we refuse to give our time and our energy and do everything we can to bring just one more prodigal home. And there's a part of us way deep down inside where we believe that we've earned our blessings as if they aren't meant for the progression of his kingdom. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we can't enjoy the fruits of our labor. I'm not saying that. It's just when we become so self-centered and self-righteous because of what we haven't been doing, what we haven't got involved with, what we've restrained ourselves from, that we forget the real blessing of the blessing, which is to build his kingdom by using our resources to rescue the lost. That should be on the forefront of our minds all the time. Am I gonna meet a prodigal today? Can I help pull them back? Can I use some of my resources, whether it's time, money, energy, whatever it may be, my resources, my talent, my abilities in this or that? Can can I use these? Can I use the things God's given me to bring just one more prodigal? I think this guy was self-righteous because of what he didn't engage in, what he didn't do, and I think the church is the same way. Self, number two, he was self-righteous because of what he did do, this non-prodigal. Where do you get off treating me like this, throwing him a party when I'm the one who has picked up the slack that my brother created when he left? I mean, I just, it's hard for me not to imagine, because I have a brother, He's the older, I'm the younger. But it's hard for me to imagine that when we have these chores to do, jobs to do, and one of us complains for years and finally walks off and leaves, that my older brother, or if he would have left me, gets stuck with more work because the other one left. And I'm sure this guy got stuck with more responsibility as the only son now. There was more things for him to do. There was a slack that was created when the other brother left, when the prodigal son left. I mean, he, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, 
speculating here a little bit, but I can just hear him say, I've been slaving in the fields. I've been faithful to my father all this time. He's not throwing me a party. He's not giving me a goat, and yet my father kills the fatted calf from my rebellious prodigal brother. What gives? I wonder if the non-prodigal brother thought, I should have squandered my inheritance like he did. At least that way I could have had a party thrown in my honor. I could have received some attention. Listen to this son give his list to his father, this non-prodigal son, the list to his father, his list of deeds that in his own eyes make him righteous. I'm, I've, I've served and served you for years. I've slaved for you for years. I've never refused you in anything you have asked me to do. I'm the good son. That's what he was saying. I've done all these things for you. I've been here. I've worked for you. I've slaved for you. Anybody ever felt like you were slaving for your dad? No one? All right, good. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I'm the one who deserves this party. I'm the one who deserves the honor. I've done good things, and he has done horrible things. The other son. Sounds a lot like the rich young ruler, doesn't it? All these things I've done since I was a child. Dad, can't you see how righteous I am? How good I've been? Look at what I've done for you and for your farm and your estate and your kingdom. And probably at the root of this, the Bible doesn't say this, but probably at the root of this is that son really worked hard all those years. Why? Because he knew he was going to get it all anyway. I wonder if he thought that now that this son's back, does he think he's going to get half again because he just blew the other half? And I stayed here and worked hard and built the thing back up to where it was. Now he comes back and maybe he wants a half again. The Bible never says that, but I wonder if that went through his mind. I mean, he was human. That's what goes through our minds, things like that, right? Definitely spur anger on in this guy. He gives him his list, this non-prodigal son to his father. He gives the list to his dad. I've done all this stuff. And compare that with what the non-prodigal said to what the prodigal son said. The prodigal son said, I have sinned. He confessed everything that he had done. His attitude was humble. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The non-prodigal was saying, where's my party? The prodigal was saying, I'm not worthy. In church, it's, it's easy to slip into this attitude of self-righteousness because of the good things we do. And I know we do a lot of good things. I get that. We're all, we all try and we work hard at doing good stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. I hope that we don't try to do bad stuff. That's not the point. God wants us to do good things. It's just that we can't ever come to a place where we believe that we are saved because of what we do or because of what we don't do. And the words of Jesus are, are so powerful. You may, you may remember what he said in his Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. We went over the Sermon on the Mount this last fall. But not everyone who calls out to me, he says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So not, not, not just those who are doing good, not those who say, Lord, Lord, 
He says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and performed miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. It's, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. And you see the prodigal son saying, I'm not worthy to be called son. You see the non-prodigal son who did everything right saying, where's my party? I mean, it's basically what he was saying. What about me? Look what I've done. I think there's a lot of churches dying because of self-righteous attitudes. And the churches that are going to stay on fire for him and be blessed of him all the way until the day of the rapture, I believe are the ones who are going to be like, you know what, we found you, <laughs> and we get to be called your sons and daughters. We love you, but, but we know that we're really not worthy, except for the blood of Jesus Christ, which makes us worthy. I want to give you some good news this morning. Righteousness comes from the inside out, not the outside in. It's not based off of what you do or what you don't do. And just so everyone is clear about the word righteousness, it's the state of being right with God. All our efforts to be righteous enough to earn heaven or to earn his favor, they're going to fall flat. All those efforts will fall flat. However, you can be righteous enough by accepting, believing, and confessing the Lord Jesus as your Savior, his perfect righteousness will then, as I said earlier, will become your righteousness. You get to wear his robe of righteousness. And his robe of righteousness is stained in the blood that he shed on the cross. And that blood-stained righteous robe that he gives us to put on, guess what? It covers all of our unrighteousness. And I know there's some people in here, you've lived your whole life, and maybe it's because of the way you were raised, maybe it was a liturgical church or some church, maybe it wasn't even liturgical, it was just some church that didn't understand this or didn't preach this. But you've lived your whole life, you've experienced your whole life, and you felt during your whole life that you never measure up, like you can't measure up. Well, guess what? You can, and that's okay, because he provided a way when there wasn't a way. You can wear yourself out trying to be righteous enough in yourself. Good luck with that one. It isn't going to work. If you're on that journey to achieve self-righteousness or righteousness within yourself. Maybe it's not even something, I mean, I don't think anybody goes, hmm, mentally, see, I will think, I am going to become the most righteous human being that's ever lived by not sinning. I don't think anybody ever does that. I don't think everybody tries to do this. But it's through experiences and things that we, we, we're, we're brought up with. I'm never good enough. I never measure up. And the devil is so good at taking every little bad thing that happens to you along the way and then, and then changing the, the, the real reasons for those things and, and making it your fault. Like you, it was your fault for not measuring up. It was your fault for not being good enough. Man, that's, that's just lies from the devil. If you're on that journey 
that wrong journey to achieve self-righteousness within yourself, you're going to end up lost and on a dead-end road. I'm just telling you. Our righteousness is in him and through him and in and through no one else. It's an awesome thing to be able to walk in the righteousness of Christ. Does that mean we don't ever have to repent again? No. We mess up. But when you realize how awesome it is to walk in his righteousness, when you do mess up, what's the first thing you do? You drop to your knees and you confess it to the Lord. He forgives you from all your unrighteousness and he cleans you and sets you free and then you're, you're, you're just good to go again. You don't lose your salvation, but it's good to confess your sins and get them off here so you can walk in freedom again. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, the, that's the gospel. That's the good news that we have. This non-prodigal son, maybe his intentions were right in the beginning. I, I'm sure they were. I'll stay here. My bonehead brother left, but I'll serve my father. Somewhere along the line, that self-righteous attitude crept in. And the same thing happens to the church. We get saved. We're so excited. And then that self-righteous attitude begins to creep in. We're like, I'm here for you, God. I will do your, I will do your work. And the self-righteous attitude creeps in. And we become basically powerless because of it. Man, God wants a church that's just so self-aware that without his grace, without his mercy, without his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, we would be nothing. Father, we don't want to be self-righteous today. We don't want to be the kind of people that let that creep into our lives some way. God, we want to, we want to have your heart. We want to mirror your heart. And when every time a sinner comes to the Lord or every time someone takes a step towards you, that we celebrate with you those victories. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you have become our righteousness. And God, it doesn't depend on what we don't do or what we do. It just depends on our submission to you. We submit to you, God. Once again, we claim you as our Lord Jesus Christ. We say, God, take the, the steering wheel of our life and and guide us and drive us, God, down those paths that you would have us go down. Lord, we confess you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.